Um, federal government, uh, the federal health minister was in Vancouver the last two days, along with provincial and territorial health ministers. Um, they were looking to reach a deal on a bunch of stuff uh, to try and help our ailing healthcare system. They did not reach one. Um, Adrian Dix had previously said, he's British Columbia's health minister, had previously said uh, that they were united behind a request for federal funding to be increased from 35% up from 22%. Uh, but apparently Ottawa backed out over a statement made by Canadian premiers making some demands while the meeting was still going on. So in other words, they're still having these talks and the premiers released something uh, making some demands. So the statement reiterates the premiers want a meeting with the prime minister, uh, a national conference really, on the federal health transfer issue. Here's Adrian Dix. Fair enough. They didn't uh, like that the premiers reiterated their position on the Canada health transfer. That's entirely fair of the federal government to do and their expression, but I think it's disappointing. I'm not sure it sends the best message. The health minister, the federal health minister, Jean-Yves Duclos, said premiers interfered in the process. Premiers are forcing my colleagues to speak only of one thing, and one thing only, money. All that premiers keep saying is that they want an unconditional increase in a Canada health transfer sent to their finance ministers. Jean-Yves Duclos there. Well, while the politicians squabble, our healthcare system, of course, continues to buckle. The new front line appears to be kids' hospitals, where they are struggling to handle a surge in viral infections, with warnings that several major hospitals are operating at well over 100% capacity these days. ER waits are as long as 24 hours. Non-emergency surgeries are already being cancelled. It is a dire situation, and the politicians are, of course, as always, uh, fighting over stuff. Joining me now is Emily Gronwald. She is president and CEO of Children's Healthcare Canada. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. We are really seeing something quite shocking happening in kids' hospitals across the country. And, and you're, you've been mentioning it's consistent. What's going on? Yeah, some have coined it an overnight crisis that's decades in the making. So for many years, our children's healthcare systems have been undersized compared to the number of children and youth in this country. Canada, you might be surprised to learn, actually has a, a growing number of children and youth across the country. And, and what we're seeing now in our children's hospitals, predominantly across the country, uh, is unprecedented demands for services spurred or sparked by a fall viral season that um, is one like we haven't seen in many, many years. And, and we're just seeing the cracks in the system now in terms of our ability to meet the needs of, of these children across the country. Yeah, RSV is, is an acronym I've been seeing a lot recently. Um, how is that adding to this? What is it? How is it adding to this? So it is a, a pretty routine illness that many young children in particular contract any given year. This year seems to be an especially virulent strain. So we're seeing more children being infected by RSV and more children um, requiring hospitalization or hospital-based care to treat their RSV. Um, there were signs that this wave was going to be more difficult than in years past. We, we just had the opportunity to speak with the CEO of the largest children's hospital in Australia to learn about their experience this past, their winter, our summer. And it sounds like it was an especially difficult season for them. They were mentioning that their experience was twice as bad as their worst model had predicted. And so um, our concern is that we're going to see that same wave in Canada um, above and beyond the volumes that we're already seeing in our children's hospitals right now. 
Yeah, we often look to Australia's flu season to try to figure out how bad our flu season is going to be at large for everyone. I mean, kids' hospitals right now are operating, you know, at, at levels that that are simply unsustainable. You were saying. Yeah, so coast to coast, we're seeing um, hospitals well over 100% occupancy. In Quebec, uh, two of their largest children's hospitals right now are sitting at 300% and 250% occupancy. Um, Our children's hospital in Ottawa, their pediatric intensive care unit today is sitting at 186%. Um, in Alberta, Edmonton, Calgary, um, Vancouver, many of the same statistics. So um, these are really troubling numbers. These are very sick children who by and large require hospital-based care um, and with a sense of urgency. So so it is a a predicament that we're facing now. Um, And I would say, you know, the other impact is from a systems perspective, Um, we're seeing consequences of these volumes play out for other children. So for example, our children's hospitals in order to create capacity are canceling elective surgeries. These are essential surgeries for many children and youth that if not delivered in a timely fashion will have impacts over their lifespan. Um, We're seeing children who aren't able to access diagnostics or who aren't able to access child development services, again, with very sort of time sensitive windows um, for intervention. And so it is it's a it's a challenge for the children and the families who are very sick right now. But it's also a challenge for the families who are waiting for time sensitive interventions for their children. Health ministers are meeting in Vancouver. They were yesterday and today. What would you tell them? I mean, we're, we're aware of the crises across the system, uh, but this seems like an acute crisis. As you mentioned, a crisis that happened overnight that was decades in the making. How do you repair this one? Because it, it feels like, you know, making sure that kids have proper medical care seems 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 you know fundamentally important. You know, we don't have a plan for Canada's kids, believe it or not. Um, Canada right now ranks 30th out of 38 countries, um, according to international rankings with respect to children's physical health, 31st out of 38 countries with respect to children's mental health. These are rankings that are falling year over year. Um, We don't have a plan in place that says, here are the areas that we need to make a priority. Here are the policies that are going to strengthen families and children. Here are the investments that we need to make in order to boost the capacity of our system to to meet the needs, the evolving needs of children and youth in this country. So we're calling on the federal government in partnership with the the provinces and territories to create a pan-Canadian child health strategy that would help us to set some priorities and set some benchmarks in terms of where do we want to be as a country with respect to our children's health outcomes. Is 30th out of 38 good enough? Or do we see ourselves as a country who prioritizes the future um, and really wants to invest in children and see them in the top five or top 10. It seems remarkable that we don't have one. Other countries must. Other countries do. Um, other countries have made a plan. Other countries have what we refer to as a federal or national children's commissioner who has oversight and who's making recommendations to various parliaments. Um, and so this is this is an opportunity for Canada to show leadership and to make some concrete plans and next steps to support the workforce and to support um, the hospitals and the infrastructure providing services to children and youth. There must be concern, as always, Emily, that that we have a crisis. The crisis shall pass. You know, people will suffer, but the crisis will pass, and then it will be forgotten about, as is so often the case. And you mentioned that uh, this is not something. I mean, we can expect this to happen again if the system is under this much strain. That's a very real risk, I think, where we sit today. Um, We've seen children left behind in many other instances, and and there are many other examples where 
um, you know, the, the approach is we'll get to the kids. We're going to prioritize this population first. And I think that has long-term risks and long-term consequences. There's a number of different areas where we can point to where we know that early intervention, early investments make lifelong dividends. Um, children's mental health is a great example where we know that most mental illnesses are diagnosed uh, in children under the age of 12. And we know that early intervention puts that child on a positive life course um, more often than not. And so we know that there's an opportunity here to make a difference today, but to also make a difference in the long term. Yeah, Emily Grinwald, thank you so much for your time tonight. You're welcome.